Good morning, your excellencies. Yeah, because apparently that is how you address ambassadors. All right. Oh, oh, now my notes have disappeared. Everything's disappeared, (laughs) including the Bible verses. Let's go to the Bible. Let's try something new. (laughs) Instead of having them on there, let's have them on paper. Uh, So for those of you... um, for who were here two weeks ago in the evening. I am using the same passage. I am using some of the same material, but there is a different... Um, um, <laughs> it's all happening today. <laughs> Thank you. You are my hero. <laughs> so... Good morning, your excellencies. So uh, you are an ambassador. I like this. You're an accredited, high-ranking diplomat sent by a state as its permanent representative in a foreign country. We are permanent, we are representatives in a foreign country. You know, uh, you may think, well, I was born and bred in Britain. Or you may be aware that you are a representative in a foreign country, you know, if you come from another country. But it says our citizenship is in heaven. Our, citizen, our citizenship is in heaven. We are representatives of heaven. We are ambassadors of heaven here on earth. So I'm going to um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 um, this morning. And um, just to be different, I thought I'd start at the end. Because, so I'm going to read a passage at the end and then ask you as we go back to the beginning to to bear this passage, what we've said in this one, in mind. And the reason I'm going to do this, as you can see, it starts here, we're in verse 18, it says all this, so it's referring to everything that's gone before. Okay, so we're going to then look at everything that's gone before. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a calling. We're the righteousness of God. Fantastic, isn't it? But it says we've got a ministry of reconciliation, or God reconciled us to himself. And what's the idea? There's lots of reconciliation. So there's God reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, and how God brought that reconciliation through Christ that God made him to be, no, to be sin 
who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So reconciliation is really, it's not just two people getting to know each other, is it? It's, it's actually sort of two parties who've been in some way opposed or, or out of relationship, usually in some kind of negative way, bringing them back together again. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, so when if people are, are reconciled, it's bringing them back to restore a relationship that hasn't been working. But actually, um, when I was looking up the, um, the uh, meaning of, just checking my meaning of reconciliation, of course, if you were, uh, I think it's an accountant or whatever, you, in the, you, you actually reconcile accounts, don't you? You bring them in line and, and so it's, it's, there's also the meaning of sort of getting things be, or beliefs line. You can reconcile your beliefs. You know, that belief, how does that belief line up with that one? And I thought, well, that's actually part of our, um, our, um, our message as well. You know, showing the world God's belief, helping the world to, to come into line with God, you know, what, what, what heaven's about. So this message of reconciliation, bringing um, uh, two parties back together again. Just to say, this uh, really, it is um, our message of, you know, this is a wonderful message we have for those who don't yet know Jesus. But it is also a message for we have for one another if you actually see somebody Who's, who's, you know, in sin or doing something that is harming, to, harming themselves and harming their relationship with God. You know, you, you can go and just say, wow, especially when you see the rest of what we've been talk- we'll be talking about, the new creation. So that reconciliation is part of, reconciliation is part of um, repentance for Christians and for non-Christians. And it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Isn't that great? You're an ambassador. You have a message. You have, you have authority. You have presence. Um, you know the culture of where you've come from. And you are representing that, um, the, that reality um, where you are. And God is making his appeal through us. Making his appeal through us. Right. So we're going to have a look. You think, well, what, what is it? All this. What is the all this? So we're going back right to the verse one now in 2 Corinthians. For we know that if this earth, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because we are clothed, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So, it says about an earthly tent. 
and tense are temporary. It's easy to think that this is the, this is the reality. Your body is, is who you are. You know, this is the reality. But a tent is, um, is something temporary. But he's saying, actually, our eternal dwelling, it's, it's a building. You know, our, our greater reality than this life is actually our eternal spiritual life in some kind of new body as well. That that's our reality. This is just the impermanent. This is the impermanent bit. And then we go on to our permanent bit. You know, as you, anyone who's done Bible weeks, I think I have camped at over 25 Bible weeks. And, uh, um, yep, I've done my fair share of realizing that tents are temporary structures. <laughs> um, yep, I've, uh, yeah, I have cooked porridge in ankle deep water in my wellies inside my tent. <laughs> it's all part of the, no. <laughs> I've also had glorious experiences at Bible weeks as well, and it makes it all worthwhile. But we know that the, the, the tents are temporary, but what we've, is coming is, is the permanent, is the glorious. So, you know, our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, I've done that bit. Right, we'll go on to this. So, you know, our body isn't what's us. So what is us? And um, this is just for David, who loves a good diagram. We've even got, we've even got a Venn diagram coming up. Yep. <laughs> Um, I'm not saying this is how it is. Don't particularly, in some ways, I don't like this diagram because it sort of suggests that my body is bigger than my spirit and uh, is bigger than my soul, and you know, and then my spirit is the little bit inside. I do like it because at least the spirit is burning in the middle. Um, <clears throat> but we are this body, soul, and spirit. I think I'd probably prefer something like this because. Here, my spirit isn't limited by my body. And you think, if we are seated in heavenly places, our spirit is not limited by our body. Don't come and ask me exactly how this all works. But our spirit is bigger than our bodies. And our soul, there's this interaction of our spirit and our soul. That, so, and it's your spirit. When you're born again, because I used to think, oh, we'd got body, before we were born again, we've sort of, this is my, this is my personal thoughts. So I used to think, oh, body and soul. And then we got the Holy Spirit. But actually says in 1 Corinthians 2, for who among you knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? And it's, we had a spirit, I had a spirit before I was born again, but it wasn't alive to Jesus. And now my spirit is renewed and is alive to Jesus. And my spirit, through that, that regeneration of life, my spirit is affecting my soul and my character. And, and you know, it's not like suddenly I changed beyond recognition you know, on who I was when I got born again. But my spirit is, is interacting with my soul. Um, so I am a spirit with a body. Not a body with a spirit. 
My spirit is my, my, my permanent bit. But it actually does get quite crowded in these bodies, doesn't it? Because, you know, we've got, we've got soul and spirit. But we've also got the Holy Spirit. And then, in actual fact, it says, you know, in John, that the Father and the Son will come and make his, will come and make their home with us. So, you know, we are actually all like TARDISes. You know, we're way bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. So this is sort of the, the whole thing of who am I? I'm a spirit with a soul and a body. So what, and then it says, goes on, so what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We tend to, we talk about people dying, don't we? But actually, for Christians, when we, it's not, we're swallowed up. At that point, we're swallowed up by life. We're swallowed up by life. And then it says, God has fashioned us for this very purpose. Uh, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. We are created for immortality. It may, we are created. We are designed to live forever with God. And this whole thought, yeah, just a few years ago, must be well, 10, 15 years ago, um, I was asked to do, as you know, I love, probably those who know me at all well know that I love cycling. And I was asked to do a sponsored bike ride for a, a lad with muscular dystrophy. I think I did it two years running, and by that time he was in his teens. And the difference in his mobility and everything was really marked between the, the, two, the two years. And his life expectancy was, was probably late teens, early 20s. And I really, I thought, no, you know, but this is his earthly tent. What is mortal is swallowed up by life. Therefore, going on to verse six, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You know, sometimes when you're doing a sort of going through a passage, you think, oh, I wish that bit wasn't in there. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> How am I going to do that bit? We will. But just we live by faith. Isn't it? Trusting in our, in our loving Heavenly Father, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting for good things to come. It says, I think living by faith is really what pleases God. It's not just a list of actions that you do. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. You know, be pleasing to God. It isn't, it isn't, oh, you know, what must I do to please him? Like he's some God that's difficult to, you know, he's some God that's difficult to please. 
When your child just turns towards you, especially a small child, or they turn towards you and they just, you know, give them their best smile, you give you your smile or whatever, your heart just rises. It doesn't take much for us to just say, Father, you're good. He's going, yeah, that's, yeah, that's my girl, that's my boy. Be pleasing to him, cause him joy. Right, so... We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether things God, good or bad. Imagine it something like this. Okay, this isn't a biblical, um, it's not in the Bible if you want to find it, but imagine it's like this. So everything that you have ever done is, is written. And there's the things that you got A A stars on. And they are put, so at this moment, they're put in a pile. And there's the things you got Bs and Cs and Ds and Fs on. And all the things that you did well in those things go on that pile. And all the things you didn't do well... Go on the pile with the F's, the the failures. So you're thinking, oh. But then what happens? In Revelation, it talks about the Lamb's book of life. And if you're a Christian, you look in the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is written In the Lamb's Book of Life, all the F pile is burnt up. All the F pile is burnt up. And you've got, like, your rewards pile. But that isn't the end of the story. What then happens is that Jesus' rewards pile which is sort of infinitely bigger than yours, is plonked on top of your rewards pile. That's how our, that's how our, um, that's how I picture um, this this judgment, this sort of looking at, um, back again, this, this standing before Jesus. The F's are burnt up. And the good is recognized. But then we get, it's not like, oh, wow, we did it in our strength. It's we get all the bonus that Jesus won for us. So then, I am just skipping a little bit in the middle, not because it's an awkward passage, just because it's more relevant just to the Corinthians Then it's in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we now, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do do so no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So here we are coming full circle. So all died. It says there, all died. It says in baptism, wasn't it? We died and we're raised again. That we are, that we, that our, our old selves have died and we're raised again. It says, you should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Wholeheartedness. We were actually um, doing the Kingdom Culture course. It's a course that runs. It's the the core beliefs and uh, the core values and beliefs and sort of behaviours. Why we do things as for Eastgate, and uh, it's a really fun night. And uh, we, this night, uh, last Thursday, uh, David Webster was speaking on um, wholeheartedness. Yeah, let's give this our all. I want to be wholehearted for God. In, in, in my loving, in my giving, in my serving, in my work, you know, in my fun. I want to be wholehearted. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I do love, I love a strong verb. You know, sort of when you, when you I've taught um you know, primary school um, English. You're saying, look for the strong action words. There's something, isn't there, compelling. There's something that just moves us. That Christ's love compels us. It compels us to do things for him. It compels us to do things for one another. It compels us to reach out and into you know, to people we don't know, to people we do know. To uh, put, put ourselves on the line sometimes. So that we should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Then I love this verse, these verses. So from now on, so this is starting in 16. We, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So it's literally saying, we actually used to think of Jesus as a man. Especially, I guess, Paul did. Because he, that's why he persecuted the church. Because he thought this man was claiming to be God. But he says, we do so no longer. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come The old has gone, the new is here. Or, if anyone is in Christ, she or he is a new creature or a new creation. I love that. You're a new creation. What's the realities of your new creation? It says that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. So there's this new 
thing happening. We are a new creation and it's affecting our new creation, our new created spirit is affecting the rest of us. So in Ezekiel 11, it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put in a new spirit in them. So our, our, our new spirit, our new creation is wholehearted. We are naturally wholehearted. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Our new being, our new creation isn't hard towards God. We are naturally soft towards God. I think we're soft towards others as well. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. There's another bit in Ezekiel. And um, I'll tell you about this just for the people. There's a picture of lawn bowls if you're listening to this without the... um, Without the... the, um, visual I actually really like it it's one of the few games that I can beat Pete at (laughs) Um, not for long if we play any sport for any length of time he's just honed in whereas I'm still just gently sort of happily not sort of you know doing whatever I'm doing Various cultures have games where, where there's, you know, a, a little round ball and you try and get a big round ball um, near the, a bigger round ball near the little round ball. You know, the French have ball and, and um, the Americans have bocce ball. I don't know what other. Well, that's all very well, but it's a bit simple, isn't it? A bit easy, you know, just to throw a round ball near a round ball. So, of course, being, I don't know if this is, a particularly English thing or a British thing. Um, but we had to make it more difficult. So we thought, okay, we'll make the balls not round. So they're slightly squidged. So they're sort of, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're bigger one way than they are the other. And then we thought, well, yeah, that's not difficult enough. Let's put a weight in one side of the ball so that when you bowl the ball, it doesn't go in a straight line. It goes in a curve. And it's called a bias. Basically, the ball will curve towards where its weight is. But that's what God has done for us. He's put our natural bias. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will put my spirit in you and will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Our natural bias is now towards God. So many people, I mean, there was a song that um, was very popular in Christianity um, a few years ago, number, good number of years ago, Jesus, Jesus, friend of sinners. And I got, so, well, I thought I can sing this song, but I am frustrated because I, I think a lot of people were singing that song It says, friend of mine, Jesus, Jesus, friend of sinners, friend of mine. I am not a sinner. That is not my identity. So what do farmers do? They farm. What do bakers do? They bake. What do sinners do? So your identity influences what you do. I am not a sinner. That is not who I am. 
I am a new creation. And my bias isn't towards sin now. It's towards God. It's towards God. I can trust my new nature to take me towards God. I'm not saying we cannot sin. We can choose. And sin is a choice. We can choose to sin. But our natural bias is now um, towards God. It says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my life, their law in their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's in us. It's now an integral part of us. It's not just an external thing of us de- desperately trying to do the right thing. Though it does require effort to live the Christian life. It does require us saying no. But our general um, our, our, our nature is towards God. In, in 2 Peter 1... It actually says we're partakers of the divine nature. That is who you are, partakers of the divine nature. It says in 1 Peter, 2, uh, 1 Peter 1, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And in 1 John, it says that you're born not of the will of man, but of the will of God. So there is becoming a Christian in the, you know, there's the image of adoption as becoming a Christian. But in this verse, the word actually used for seed is sperma. It's the passing on of DNA. We have God's nature in us. There is a fundamental change in us. So... I am a new creation. I am completely clean. I have a new heart. My natural bent or bias is towards doing what is right. My new heart is naturally wholehearted. I have God's spiritual DNA. I share and participate in God's divine nature. And I have the power that raised Jesus from the dead coursing through me and from me. That's in Ephesians 1. So what is our message as ambassadors? Just looking at the time. It says God was was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. That we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. I remember thinking, you know, what was the, go- the gospel? You can look at the good news, you know, the gospel in many different ways. And I think, I used to think, I used to sort of have the, pre- the, the emphasis of evangelism used to be on what's mankind's greatest need. And we used to, most of us would have answered forgiveness. But actually, what's God's, what's mankind's greatest need? I think is a restoration of their relationship with God. And in this passage, it says God was reconciling the world to himself. It puts the emphasis 
on the reconciliation. They need the forgiveness. For that to happen, they need, it says, you know, Jesus, who had no sin, took our sin, became sin for us. But the greatest need is their reconciliation um, with God. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. What an amazing verse, isn't it? It's like in in, um, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. And then what's the next verse? For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. God puts the the Holy Spirit can lead us into all truth and it can put his... his, um, his finger on, on Christians and non-Christians' hearts, saying, whoa, there's a need here for a restoration of relationship. Not saying we don't say that as well. We can. But it's actually God wants them back into a relationship with him. And he was willing to, 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 put, uh, to let Jesus die for that so that... These people could come, be forgiven, and come into that fullness. So, but restoration can only happen, can't it? If one, if if it doesn't, restoration, um, reconciliation doesn't happen if one party makes all the moves. You do actually need to the both parties, and that's what our message is, isn't it? Is to um, to, to ourselves and to and to those who don't yet know Jesus, God's done all of this, but you need to come and and accept that, and ask for forgiveness, and be reconciled. So I just think it, you know it's it's uh, when I go out on the streets, I'm often or when I'm with my friends non-Christian friends, it's I'm giving them tasters of who God is so that they get hungry to come into a relationship with him. I remember um, there's a lady in the church, um, Anne Townend now heads up our um, health, uh, the healing center. And um, she had children, she, I met her at toddler group. And I said, would you like, you know, she, she was new in the, I was new in the village, she was new in the village, would you like to come for a cup of coffee? And uh, she came around for a cup of coffee with me, and then I introduced her to some of my friends, and we used to pray together, and we said, do you mind praying? Do you mind if we pray? She said, no. I mean, what she thought, she didn't. So we just we used to pray together, and she used to sit there. Within a year, she was gloriously saved. It's giving people, just exposing people. You know, and, and it is such good news. God wants to draw you back into a relationship with him. He's not counting your sins against you. Because Jesus took all the punishment for your sins. You think about, you can be a new creation. What a message that we have. You can be completely clean. Have a new heart. Your natural bent or bias will be towards what is right. 
You will share and participate in God's divine nature. I don't know what quite what the average person who doesn't know God might think about that, but um, might be intrigued. Not saying I'd necessarily say that to them. You can have the power that raised Jesus from the dead coursing through you and from you. We have an incredible message to ourselves, to one another, and to the world around us. Can we can we stand? Just want to pray. Let God speak to you about your new creation. His power at work in you through the renewing of your spirit and the Holy Spirit. How incredibly powerful is that? You have the renewed nature. You have a renewed spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. You have made us new. Wow, we partake in your nature. Wow. We can cause you joy. We, yeah. Wow, you are good. And Lord, I pray that we will be great ambassadors. As we naturally live for you, we will be great ambassadors for you. Thank you, Jesus. Calm Holy Spirit. Amen.